Wonderful. So, Lord, we just thank you that we can come this morning and just uh, open up our hearts just to receive uh, just your word to us, that not only would we receive your word, but, Lord, that it would be active, alive, transformative in our lives. And, Holy Spirit, we just thank you that even as you breathe it onto uh, the pages, you'd breathe afresh on our hearts and that you would carry us in the fullness of that into all that you have for us. Even as we finish off this series in Acts, I thank you for fresh activation uh, and Acts that are a display of your goodness, your grace, your power, your purpose in and through this community, our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Just before I kick off, I, I came across a little story that I liked. It was of a young man who was walking through a supermarket. And as he was walking through the supermarket, he noticed that there was this older lady that was following him around very sweetly, uh, very kindly. She kept staring at him and following him down the aisles and filling up her uh, trolley in the meantime. Eventually, he got behind her in the counter. She was just in front of him. And uh, she turned to him and said, I, I hope I didn't disturb you that I, I just kept uh, following and looking at you. But you remind me of my son so much. He's away in the military. And he said, oh, I'm sorry about that is there anything I can do for you while while he's away in this moment and she said well I'd love for you as I'm leaving just to remember his voice in that moment as I'm leaving the store would you just shout out goodbye mom and so I said sure I'd love to do that and anyway she she went through and she walked out and turned and waved at him and he said bye mom and she headed out and he was smiling and feeling he had really engaged well in tenderness and he turned back to the teller and saw his bill was 2,000 rand and said how can this be I only got bread and milk and she said, no, your mom said just to put it on your account. So that's actually a warning. Just be aware on this Mother's Day. But we in the book of Acts, we've been doing a series on the unstoppable church. And I want to just, uh, I want to bring that to a, a culmination here this morning as we just take out some keys. And uh, we've been looking at um, just what it means to know the activity of the Spirit upon in carrying us into all that God has for us. And uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced a hurricane or a tornado. I haven't had that um, before I go further. Michelle Riddles here from Australia. Michelle, great to have you in the house. Back from YWAM and serving there. Um, I haven't encountered a, a hurricane or a tornado. I got to encounter some earthquakes when I was living in Alaska. And, um, but actually, I, I know a pastor from Canada who had, and he had been driving a Church of the Nations leader, and he had been driving down the road, and this tornado came out of nowhere, and he says it just picked up his car, turned it around, and he just kept on heading in the direction appointed him to get away from that thing. Um, the reason that I say that is as we read in, in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit coming and descending upon the church, and it says, like a mighty wind. They actually say when you look at that translation, it's not a great translation. A better, one, a better translation would be like a tornado or a hurricane, and it's implying this isn't just some cool, refreshing breeze that sometimes blows on us. This is this torrential wind that can pick you up, that can turn you around, that can suck you in and propel you out. And uh, that's what happens with the Church of Acts as they take the gospel uh, to the ends of the world. And we see this particularly as we've been sharing in the Apostle Paul's life as we look. We see him getting to this point as we're going to finish off in chapter 28. Acts 28, we see him getting to this point where he reaches Rome. 
He, he's been saying, I've got this purpose, I've got this destination, and it's to go to Rome. And that's the, the Rome was the picture of purpose and destiny and influence, and I've shared that all before, so we're not going to go into too much detail in that, but he's heading to Rome. It's some 4,820 kilometers away from what was happening in that Jerusalem moment in that upper room, where that torrential wind came and picked up the early disciples and sent them out, and he got involved and was part of that story as well. But when we come to uh, this end that we're going to get to, the end of the chapter, Acts 28, it's to realize it's not the end, that the story continues. It doesn't end there with the Apostle Paul, but it continues there with you and I here today, part of this community, part of the bride of Christ spread around the globe as we get to carry this message of the goodness of who God is. Because the, the church, as we've looked at it, it's a movement that gathers with conviction around the message of who Jesus is. And uh, there's meant to be movement and activity taking place within us. And so Luke is recounting, um, as he has been through Acts, this journey that the Apostle Paul is on, on his way to Rome. And there's four things that I want to pull out for us that should be part of our journey and should be an encouragement as we trust for the, the book of Acts to continue and be outworked in our lives. So we're going to start off, and I'm going to just touch on a couple of the chapters coming up to the end. But in Acts 25... Verse 22, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, you can switch them on. I loved what uh, Dylan Long said when he was here. If you've got your apples, your tablet, iPad tablet or your Apple phone, take it out. If you've got your Samsung, keep it in your pocket. I'm going to be a, a little bit more generous and say you can take whatever out and switch it on. But this is the first point I'd like to bring of these four points that we see in Paul's journey to Rome. It's this. Turn to someone next to you and say, live provocatively. You might have to tell one or two people, stop dressing provocatively, <laughs> but live provocatively. It's the encouragement that comes to us as we jump in and we see, and we're going to see this coming out as we read a little bit further. But just to catch you up with the story, is uh, Paul has left in Acts 20, he leaves, he's been with the, um, the church in Ephesus with the elders there, then he goes to Jerusalem and he's heading to um, engage with the Passover, and he arrives and the Jewish authorities, this is Acts 20, the Jewish authorities recognize him because we know in Acts 17, it says that those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And they recognize there's something about this man that he's a, he's a world changer and he's going to turn the world upside down here as well. And it puts a bit of fear in their hearts. So they go to the Roman leaders and they say, he is here to cause a political revolt. That's what they say. We know that's a lie. He was bringing spiritual transformation. Um, and even the Roman officials knew that it was a lie, but they didn't know what to do with him. So they took him to the regional governor whose name was Felix. And what happened in this moment is uh, Felix takes Paul in, but he doesn't know what to do with him. You see, this is, uh, the world doesn't know how to contain or how to engage with necessarily uh, kingdom men and kingdom women because we live by a different priority system. We live by a different agenda. We have a different purpose and it doesn't make sense. And so what do you do? Well, he got stuck in prison. And maybe there's some of us here, and maybe in friendship circles or in work environments or um, in family settings, I don't know what it is. You felt that you've been set aside for a time. And I want to say, don't be discouraged, but be encouraged. Because Paul, in the midst of this two years, doesn't just think I'm in prison, I'm being persecuted, but he writes the majority of the New Testament. 
And so I want to encourage you, start blogging, start journaling, start writing the experiences of what God is doing in and through your life. Uh, I know of a couple of leaders. Um, we've had Rory Dyer in the city just this, uh, this weekend, and I, I had lunch with him yesterday. I had the privilege of connecting with him. And he just took out his journal, and the Lord's brought him back into this place of just journaling and recording testimonies and reflecting and writing down what he's praying. And we've seen the power of that on this Mother's Day of what a mother blogging through a journey can do in a community that provokes something. We've seen it here in this city. So eventually, Felix is succeeded as governor by a guy called Festus. Turn to someone and say Festus. <laughs> it sounds like an insult, so you should apologize to them in the next <laughs> sentence. It's a terrible name. Uh, if your name is Festus, I actually love it. I'm only joking. <laughs> and moms, if you named your child Festus, Great grace. Um, and Festus is going over his responsibilities, and uh, he realizes Paul is in prison, and so he, he says, I, I need to engage with this man. So he calls Paul out of prison, and Paul has been in prison for two years, yet the purposes of God have still been alive and running freely and reigning freely in his heart. And the first thing he does when he comes before Festus out of prison, he says, I want to see Caesar because he's a man who's got a purpose. I want to get to Rome. You can try and detour me. You can try and hide me away. You can try and imprison me, but I am a slave to righteousness, to right standing with God and the call and the purpose and the mandate that he has for my life. And you might think you're setting me into freedom, but I have been caught and I've been arrested by the presence of God. So he says, I appeal to Caesar. And this was something you could do in that day. You could make this an appeal if you were a Roman citizen and then you would get brought before Caesar. Most people wouldn't do this because it was quite terrifying because basically you were saying, I'm gonna live by whatever he decides. That's your last port of call. And whatever Caesar decides in the moment, that's what goes. And Caesar at this time was Nero. And uh, if you read in commentaries about him, they would say this guy was emotionally like a powder keg. I mean, anything you do could set him off and there could be the explosion. But anyway, he says, I want to get to Rome. And this was his way to pick up on the prophetic word that he had been given, the promise of God. And so just before he heads off, um, Herod Agrippa hears that uh, Paul is um, in Festus's care. And in Acts 25, verse 22, Agrippa says to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. He's heard something of him, something of this message, something of those that have turned the world upside down had reached Agrippa's ears. And he says, I want to hear this man myself. And so Festus says, tomorrow you'll hear him. And he puts on this big show, use a nice um, fancy word in the ESV version where it says, with a lot of pomp. It's a, it's, a, it's a great word, pomp. And then uh, there were feats of strength, there was the airing of grievances, all of this. But right at the center of this moment, Paul gets to defend himself. He gets to start to declare why he's there and his purpose. And Agrippa is caught with, as they had, the other Roman officials had been, why is this man here? This man doesn't even need to go to Caesar. There's nothing, if you read through the passages, that we can indict him with, that we can hold against him. There's nothing that this man has done wrong. This man could be free. And here's the point that I'm wanting to bring out as we look at this today. As people start to look and to see, they would ask questions about who we are and why we're living the way we live in. Because our lives, we should, our lives should provoke a question. That's what we are saying. There should be, uh, we should live provocatively that our our lives provoke a question that people would ask this, I don't get why you do 
what you do. I just don't get it. I don't understand why you, you're so generous and there's nothing that you're getting back in return. You're not getting position or um, a fulfillment of your ambition, but why are you so generous? Why do you have such hope in the midst of hardship? How can you have this living hope in you when it seems like dead and hardship that you're going through? Why are you so kind? Why are you so patient? Why are you so gracious? Why are you so forgiving as we heard about last week? I heard it was, uh, just thank you Marilyn for just sharing so beautifully. I've heard great report and uh, just people sharing with me. I had the privilege of being in Paul, so I was suffering in that part of the world. <laughs> had an, a terrible lunch at a, a wine farm called Labori afterwards. <laughs> but uh, that's where I was ministering over the weekend. But I just heard that it was, if you didn't get it, please will you get that message. I just, uh, I've heard many people say it just ministered. Life and freedom to them. But here in this moment, what is about our lives is provoking people. One of those things would be that we can operate in forgiveness. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 3 verse 15. In your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I love that. It means you should be living in such a way you don't need to worry about, in a sense, how you're going to engage with people to share the gospel message. You've got to be ready to defend yourself because people are going to be coming at you and saying, what is the reason for this living hope that you have in the midst of whatever you're facing? Are you living in such a way that your life is provocative because there's a living hope that is visible, tangible? tangible, manifesting, that's causing you to need to defend yourself in a sense, because people are coming and saying, I want an explanation. Explain to me this faith that you have. The message says it beautifully. It says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you are living the way you are. People should be asking. Uh, the Passion Translation, I just like this verse. I'm going to read it from as many translations as I can. The Passion Translation says, and if anyone asks, and the actual word there would be repeatedly asks. It's like, you know, when there's something good and you ask someone, it's like, I'm a bass fisherman. You ask, where did you catch that bass? People get elusive. They, they don't like to, what lure did you use? They don't like to tell you. It's like, what time of day? What was the way that people will push you away? But when people will repeatedly ask, when they know, I want to know where that spot is to catch, I'm going to repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly ask. That's what it's saying that we should expect. If anyone asks repeatedly about the hope living within you, this living hope, always be ready to explain your faith. You get to explain it. You get to share it. You get to speak about it. You get to reveal it. You get to help people to encounter the tangibility of what faith looks like lived out. And Peter is supposing this, that your life's going to provoke this question because you are living provocatively as a kingdom man and a kingdom woman that is carried and born by the Spirit of God manifesting His grace and living as a showpiece of His grace no matter the situation that you might be, might be facing. How do you do that? Well, we see in different places with Paul and Peter, they mention it. The first one you could see in Colossians 3, it's in the place of your work. You know, we, most of us here are engaged in work. Some may be studying, some may be um, doing various things. And Paul says, in our work, there should be such an excellence and integrity about the way that we carry ourselves, even when no one else is looking. 
You see, integrity means wholeness. It doesn't mean that I show a part and hide a part or hide away in a part. It means wholeness. There should be such an integrity and an excellence about us, even when no one else is watching, that people should be coming to us and saying and recognizing that we work for a boss that is other than money, that we live to a higher standard, that we give of our best because we are honoring the King of Kings and Lord of Lords more than a CEO wherever we place them, wherever we are working. And so he's saying that thing should provoke a question. Here's another thing that should provoke a question. How do you handle disappointment or persecution, hardship? How do you handle pain? That should provoke a question when people are around you. Sometimes when we're going through pain and disappointment and hardship, that can be some of the most powerful places for the grace of God to be on display. That's when people are looking. That's when people are keeping the eye upon you. See, anybody can be happy when things are going well. When things are going well, it's easy to, to share about how great life is. But when we can have a joy, even in the midst of what's not going well, then we can show that there's a foundation of joy that's built in our life that this world cannot offer. Because there's a difference between joy and happiness. Uh, uh, I've actually taken a bit of time to look into this, and um, they say the difference is this. Happiness comes from the root word happening. That's where the word happen, uh, happiness comes from. Happiness is when what you want to happen happens, and then you're happy. <laughs> it's like this external thing, but joy is this in internal thing. It's not dependent on your happenings. Joy is dependent on something else. It has a different source. It has a different origination. It has a different strength to lean upon. It has a different inspiration that flows. And many of us know how to be happy when the happenings of life are favorable. But with joy, God wants to demonstrate we have a joy that's deeper, we have a joy that's broader, we have a joy that's more inspirational, that even when our happenings are bad happenings, there's still this joy that we have because of the presence of God in our lives. And you might say, but George, where is that? Psalm 16 verse 11 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. That means where you are in his presence, there's fullness of joy. What that means is there's not absence of joy, not a part of joy, not just a component of joy, there is fullness of joy. And that promise and Psalms is a response to Jesus' prayer when he prays this as we read in John 17 verse 13 that the, the, their joy the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would be fulfilled in us. It's actually a promise and an outworking of prayer. And not only is it His presence, not only is it prayer, but it's power because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we can engage with His joy, it becomes our strength and a display of His power in the midst of what we're facing. And so there's this that takes place, and there should be this that's provoking people to ask questions. There should be a generosity, a generosity about our lives that provokes questions because it's so extravagant. For God so loved that he gave. When we have received love and living out of love, there is a giving that is a radical generosity, so much so that it causes people to look at Jesus and how radical the love and generosity of the Father was because of that being outworked in our lives. That's why one of our values in this house is generosity, not because we're hoping that we'll have more resource to reach more. I mean, that's a beautiful outworking, but it's more than this. It's that we can actually reflect the Father heart of God and engage with and partner with what Jesus did and what the Holy Spirit is still about doing. There's something of, people don't get too excited on the generosity one, I'll work a little bit harder. <laughs> There's a quote that says, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll show you what's really important in your life. So when people see us living by a different timetable where we're making time 
And when people see us living by a different checkbook where um, we know the resource from where it flows, suddenly it provokes a question, how do you have this living hope? So much so that it was on display when a young man in this church was saving up for marriage and he had had a large sum of money set aside. And uh, then in saving up for marriage, man, this is a great one. I love this story. <laughs> I've got to shed a few tears on Mother's Day just to live out the moment. But this man was saving money to get married. He hadn't met the right lady yet and he had been hoping and praying and trusting. And then he heard of a young single mom in the church whose car was breaking down and unsafe, fumes in it with the child. So he took his money he had been saving up and brought her a new car. Should provoke the question of a living hope. Let me tell you, the right lady came along and that boy married ladders up. <laughs> he's, one, he's one of my good friends. But that sort of generosity provokes something. For people to ask about this living hope. But let me tell you that living hope has a reward because the father sees in response. There was another gentleman, uh, Actually, someone, it was actually Clint. I know he shared this in the evening, so I can share it. He was leading worship today. He had been trusting for a car. He had seen a car and thought, Lord, I'd love that car. He went to uh, visit a friend, and a friend said, I've got something for you, and threw him keys. And he thought, why must I open your car and get something out the boot? And he said, no, I felt the Lord say to buy this car for you. It was the exact car, not just similar. It was the exact car that he had been looking at that this person knew nothing about and had brought for him. And that, that sort of thing provokes, uh, provokes um, a question. You know, how does God do this, you know? causes people to want to know how we can have this living hope. Clint then gave his old car to Jeshua, who used to be uh, in this church, who then gave it to another person in the church, and this generosity just starts to, to roll, and it provokes questions, living hope. And I'm not just talking about finance, I'm talking about more than this, because people need to realize whether it's in time, whether it's in finance, whether it's in energy, whether it's in wisdom, whatever it is that we are investing in a different realm that carries exponential, not just incremental returns. And it should provoke a question in people's heart. The second thing I want to say is this, that the way we're living as we're living out this Acts ongoing experience is that we need to seize opportunities. You see in this moment, Acts 26, 27 to 29, Paul is addressing, he's been giving this moment and he's addressing King Agrippa. And King Agrippa, if you know about Agrippa, he was um, Jewish descent. He would have been, they say, about eight years old when Jesus died. So he would have brought up knowing about all um, the, the prophets and um, the, the Old Testament. Uh, King Agrippa, it verse says in verse 26, this is what Paul says to him. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? But he knows he's Jewish. So then Paul goes on to say, I know that you believe says, do you believe the prophets? Actually, I know that you believe. And then Agrippa says to Paul, hang on a moment, because Paul starts to just jump in, and Paul says to him in verse 28, um, and he, he says, I know that you believe, and Agrippa says to Paul in verse 28, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? I mean, Paul takes this moment, he's in this moment of defending himself, and then he starts to shift it, and he starts to say, I know that you believe the prophets. And 
Agrippa is wise enough to pick up on, this man is trying to get me converted, and really I'm just trying to stop him from being condemned. But you see, you live in a different way, you have a different perspective when you know that you're carrying a proclamation and there's opportunities to be seized because in the kingdom we suffer violence, but violent men take it by force. So, you know, I'm not worried about the violence coming at me. I'm going to violently take hold of every opportunity that I have in the kingdom of God so that I can engage with the king, his powers, rule, his reign, and his dominion. And so in the midst of this moment, a man who's meant to be condemned shifts into this, I'm going to convert this guy. And Agrippa realizes and says, hang on a moment. And Paul responds, I love his response, whether short or long, doesn't matter how much time I have, doesn't matter if it's a moment or if it's hours, whether short or long, if the opportunities there is basically saying, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day says, actually, you know what, Agrippa, I'm not only after you, I'm actually after everyone. And this moment is too, not too short. Any moment, no matter how short or long, I'm going to take this moment and appeal to everyone who hears me this day that they might become such as I am. Here's a man who's been persecuted. He's been in prison. He's trying to go before um, Caesar. He might face execution, but he's saying, what I've got, you want it. He's saying it doesn't, have, it should be provocative. It's a living hope. It's not caught up in just a, a moment or a time frame or just an experience. It's not caught up in a happening. It's something that's ta- happening within me, and it's of the joy of the Lord. And so he's, he's saying that you might have what I have, except for these chains. <laughs> I like that he adds that in. And his life is on the line, but he's got the opportunity to proclaim Jesus. And you know, we get those opportunities. Maybe we're in the medical profession and we get to operate and just to engage with the healing heart of God in the midst of that. Maybe it's in counseling or psychology or whatever it might look like. Maybe those aren't just great ways to um, find purpose and um, provide for our families. Maybe those are great opportunities to proclaim who Jesus is. And we need to seize some opportunities. And I'm not saying to come and to hammer people in that moment, but to live and engage with them and expose them to something that's so real in your life that it provokes them to ask the question. And then you seize the opportunity to share the reality of what's happening within your life. Uh, Maybe you're a teacher and you get to do that with fellow and peer teachers who are going to influence and shape minds. Maybe you get to do it as an athlete where you get to be an example to other athletes that you don't have to live to how the world thinks you should live, but you can live in such a way that you can be a role model, that you can be a mentor, that you can be a hero to some other person because your hero is uh, with you and your focus is on him. Maybe that's the situation you're in. Uh, I loved hearing uh, Mother's Day. So my mom uh, where we tell us? My mom was on a plane, and if you know my mom, she's terrified, terrified of flying. When I fly, and I'm not terrified, terrified of flying. Whenever I fly, uh, so this weekend I went to Paul, and I got a call. I'm praying for you. I'm not going to stop till you land. Don't forget to message me. And I, I always forget to message, and she's like, "I've been praying for five hours. You didn't tell me." <laughs> tells me when I'm coming back in, uh, she's praying, and if you think that's bad with me, with herself, she gets, she's claustrophobic, so it's a couple other things. She did tell me she's coming into freedom and contending for it. Mom, happy Mother's Day, we declare freedom over you. But anyway, in the midst of this story, she was on a flight, it was coming in from PE back to Durban, and uh, they said, the pilot said, listen, all of the hydraulics have gone. 
we're not going to make it to Durban, we can't get to Joburg, there's something wrong with the runway and PE, and it was televised, all this moment. But something in that shifted where when you realize that you've got um, a message that you're carrying and there's an opportunity, she shifted out of being, woe is me, and she took this young mom's hand that was next to her, who it was her first time flying, and she was terrified, and she started to say, do you know Jesus? Everything's going to be fine. And something shifted in her because there was that opportunity to take. The third, the third point I want to make is this. We live provocatively. We, we um, seize the opportunity. The third one is this. We embrace purpose. Embrace purpose. Uh, Acts 27, 21 to 26. I've shared this in detail, so we won't go out in detail again. Um, uh, this message of Paul. And on this journey, we know that he faces storms and shipwrecks and serpents and all sorts of th- things. And this is the moment that they're saying, okay, you want to go to Caesar? We're going to send you to Rome. We're going to send you to Caesar. And he gets on this boat and he's heading off. And uh, it says in verse 21 that they had been without food for a long time. And Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. He's saying that you should, he had before warned. This is his moment to say, you know what, I'm right. Recognize it. Uh, no, he wasn't doing that. But he was saying that you should have listened to me. But you see, even in things that maybe God doesn't originate, he still has a purpose through them. You see, Paul finds himself in that moment. So he embraces purpose, even though this wasn't probably the moment that he had hoped to be in. Verse 22. Yet now, now that we can, now I want to tell you about purpose, even though we're in this moment where you didn't listen to me, yet now I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. So he's got purpose. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, Paul says, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island, just to add in a little bit of detail there. And so we see here that he's got this purpose that's holding him. Even in the midst of what he's facing, he's saying, no, there's purpose. And he's embracing this purpose. He's not allowing the storm to make him doubt God's purpose, his power, and his promise to do what he said. He's not allowing his storm to cause him to doubt God's promises. So often we allow those storms to cause us to doubt God's promise and we disengage when rather we should embrace God's purposes that'll carry us through and bear us through whatever storm we might be facing. And he doesn't allow the storm to do this. I do wanna highlight this. There's a difference between embracing um, purpose and embracing presumption. There's a difference between embracing purpose and embracing presumption. Embracing presumption thinks, I want a new car, so I'm going to give my old broken down car with worn out tires and uh, gaskets that are going and whatever else, I don't know, cars, I'm going to give that away so I can get a new Mercedes. You see, that's a bit presumptuous. Uh, Rather, you should be responding to generosity that you are blessed in your giving rather than in your getting. And so we've got to be careful what, what, uh, what are we embracing in the midst of the, the moment. But here we see that you can embrace purpose. And we know there's 275 other prisoners, um, soldiers, and travelers on this boat. And they have one thing in common. They are all terrified and they are all about to die. But Paul gets a word from God. And Paul's got a... A purpose, And Paul, and here's the beauty of it, he's not just some super apostle in this moment that um, is just carrying a divine inspiration from God, but he is a fellow traveler who's in that same position that they are on, and he's got a unique platform from which to share the gospel. 
You see, there's something powerful that comes when you know that you are a, a fellow traveler, when you're on the journey, when you can share with people through the midst of the moment. Because this is something that uh, maybe in charismatic circles we need to just be aware of, is that we don't always get shielded from the storm. Sometimes God wants to take us through it. I've shared before that, uh, that um, God loves to bring us out the harbor. The enemy wants to shipwreck us, but he wants to prove us seaworthy. And there's two things that are taking place in the midst of that moment. So sometimes we're not shielded from the storm. This is what Jack Hayford um, in his Bible commentary says about this in the New King James Spiritual um, Bible. He says, the presence of the king, I'm just going to read it to you, the presence of the king and the power of the kingdom in our lives makes us neither invulnerable nor immune to life struggles. The presence of the king and the power of the kingdom in our lives makes us neither invulnerable nor immune to life struggles, but they do bring the promise of victory, provision and need, strength for the day, healing and comfort and saving help. You cannot have victory unless it comes through battle. You cannot have triumph unless it follows a trial. So there's a beautiful promise even in the midst of the hardship. And here we see that God doesn't shield us um, from storms necessarily. He allows us to go through the same storms that other people are going through. So what? Why does he allow that? So that we can show them hope within the storm and what that looks like. There's something about when we're in the midst of this storm and we're experiencing God's presence that we get to demonstrate um, God's presence with us in the midst of the storm rather than from calling outside the storm of how we can do it. There's something about being in the midst of the moment, but having living hope. There's something about being in the heat of it, the thick of it, uh, the pressure of it, the strain of it, and yet still being born by hope and having joy that we can demonstrate the presence of God from within that thing, not just around it. And that's what we see taking place here. He's starting to to recognize his purpose. So maybe you've been in that situation. I'm telling mom stories where uh, my mom was in hospital, and uh, in the midst of that, she was battling asthma, Everyone's going to be praying for her and think she's, uh, she's quite a, uh, a strong, victorious woman in her faith. So don't get the wrong idea. She'll think I've painted a weird picture. But anyway, she was in hospital and she had had asthma. But in the midst of that, she thought, Lord, you know what? I'm not only here for me. I'm going to get better. I know that your healing powers at work in me. I've got faith. I'm not concerned. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to shift into purpose. And there must be a reason that I'm here. Uh, because I know your goodness is at work in and through my life. And what she did in that moment was she started to share and she seized the opportunity and she wanted to live provocatively. And she met a lady who was a nurse in the hospital looking for a church but didn't know where to connect. And it was Nathan LaRue's mom, Sharon LaRue. So that's how Sharon and Stephanus came to be at Harvest because she could have got caught up and feeling sorry for herself in a hospital bed. But she thought, no, I'm going to embrace purpose in the midst of this moment. And I'm going to live in such a way that I'm going to see people experience the kingdom. Are you embracing purpose? What purpose are you embracing in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of what you're facing? Because sometimes um, when we're in the midst of that thing and we're in that place of brokenness, weakness, and pain, we think, well, I've got nothing to share. But I, I want to tell you that it's when you share in the midst of that moment that you're not demonstrating your awesomeness, but you're able, actually able to declare his graciousness. There's something about being in the midst of that moment where you get to be a showpiece and a trophy of God's grace, no matter what you're going through. So don't let that distract you. And then the last point I want to say is this, as I send us out, is number four. We see in chapter 28, the last two verses of the book of Acts. Turn to someone next to you and say, live sent. 
Sad a little bit more excited because you're going to be, get to go out after this. Live sent. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense. This is saying um, before he's heading off to uh, get to see Caesar. And he welcomed all who came to him and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And you, you're hanging on to this. This is the last verses in uh, the book of Acts chapter 28. And you're thinking, what's going to happen when he faces um, Caesar, when he's on trial? When, what's he going to say? You know, what wisdom's going to come out? How's he going to see the kingdom of God advance? And it's a cliffhanger and nothing more happens. It just ends there. I mean, that's crazy ending right there. I, I don't know about you, but I've stopped watching um, Mnet series. Like on a Wednesday night at seven, you watch it. I don't do that anymore. That's crazy because the cliffhangers are getting ridiculous. It's not like the A-team when you know, it ends and that little van is launching and you know it'll land, it'll be fine next week. Now you don't know who's going to die, what's going to happen. And, and so I, I binge watch. I get Netflix and I take time and I will set aside time to, to not hit the cliffhanger, but they still do it. It's terrible. So you come at 2.30 in the morning and you're like... I oh, know, I've got to see the start of the next one. Uh, Dave Riddle gave me some wise advice. Sorry, I don't mean to expose you, Dave. But Dave gave some wise advice. He said, plan to watch something, but finish halfway through it, the series. It's excellent advice, because when, when you do that, you can engage in that point yet again. Dave, I think it was you. Maybe it wasn't you. Okay, I'm, I'm wrongly accusing you. I just saw, I could feel that. Um, but, but, but still good advice. He just seems so wise. But you stop halfway through, because if you get to the end, you're in problems. But uh, you see, it's this cliffhanger, and that's what's happening here. And you think, but what happened with Paul? But here's the beauty. It's not about Paul. It's not about his ambitions. It's not about his dreams. It's about what the Spirit of God was doing, how the church was being move, mobilized and acting in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to reach the ends of the globe. And the story doesn't end there, and it's no longer Paul's story, but it's your and my story. And it's how we are being carried, how we are being not only gathered, but scattered, that we get to be sent out. We get to live sent, and we get to take this message wherever we go, that we get to live provocatively, that we get to seize opportunities, that we get to embrace purpose and that we get to live sent. And here's a beautiful picture of what that means. Gathered environments like we're in today grow churches and, and we, we love that growth and that health. But scattered servants reach cities. That's what we are when we, when we go out. we scattered servants of the Most High. And what that word scattered means, it means a movement of people empowered by the Holy Spirit and sent to bring life to cities. We, when we come in His presence, should be filled with such contagious joy that as we are sent out, it spills out wherever we go. That's why we gather and that's how we sent out. That's how we empowered. So as that same tornado and hurricane blew into the room and upon a few people's lives in an upper room, that same wind, tornado, hurricane, torrential force that it says is unceasing, if you look in the commentaries, is blowing into our lives today, blowing into this church today and going to carry us out and carry the fresh breath of heaven wherever you might go on this Mother's Day. Can we say amen to that? Amen. amen. Let me, uh... oh, that's encouraging. 
So Lord, we just thank you. We don't want to just say it, but Holy Spirit, come and breathe afresh on us. Not only breathe, but come and, and um, torrentially blow, unceasingly, unreservedly, unstoppedly, unhindered into our lives, that you not only like that tornado I shared in the beginning, pick us up, but that you turn us around and that you carry us out and that we carry a different atmosphere that gets released, that it provokes people to ask questions. Lord, make us aware of opportunity. Make us able to take hold of your purpose for which you have taken us. And Lord, we want to live not only ascent, but empowered, fully laden, carrying everything of your kingdom to release to see. Your life come in every area we go. We pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen.